Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. I'm Mallory Wilson. I'm Megan DeLucine. And this is Buried Bylines. All right, are we good to go? Yes, if you hear snuffling and snorting, it's my child. Great. Uh, hey Bennett. Fun. Hi Bennett. Guest starring um, Bennett. <laughs> can you believe this is going to be our last podcast episode of 2023? No. So this episode is set to come out on Christmas Day. <gasps> How festive. I know. And you know, since you've had Bennett, we've kind of scaled back. And, like, yes. switched to posting every other week. Um, but I think we're going to try to get back to releasing episodes weekly in the new year. Yes. Yes. We're going to do our best. But you haven't gone back to work yet. So I feel like we have to reevaluate when you do. Eh. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Figure it out. Okay, man. <laughs> But since this episode's coming out on Christmas Day, I wanted to cover a case that was Christmas or holiday adjacent. It would be very easy to, like, jump into a JonBenet Ramsey or Lacey Peterson type of case. But um, I wanted to keep it a bit closer to home. So today we're going to talk about the unsolved murder of Linda McDaniel. This case is also known as the Christmas Ribbon Killer. What? Why have I never heard of this? <laughs> I know, right? Oh my god. Like Isn't a nickname it, and everything. I know. That's what I said, too. I was like, how has this not, like, how is this not, like, the case right. that everyone talks about? Right. In Indiana, yeah. How'd you find it? <laughs> the Google machine. Fair. <laughs> But this story begins nearly 50 years ago in December of 1977. The first report came out on December 1st by the Indianapolis News. It reads that a 23-year-old, well, actually, it reads it was a 32-year-old. But the math is not mathing. And I thought that I was going crazy until I read an article the next day that said 23-year-old. So it was clearly a misprint. Oh, no. Not in the headline. I know. Just for the record. It is a 23-year-old West Side woman. She was found drowned in her apartment bathtub with her hands tied behind her back. With a Christmas ribbon. Correct. How'd you guess? I don't know. I'm just so smart. So smart. Um, mom brain who? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I didn't put my pants on backwards today. It's fine. <laughs> and go outside, literally to the store. And then I was like, oh, and it was jeans. You put so jeans, my jeans on backwards? Yes. Were they jeggings? How did you do that? They were my they were my maternity jeans. Oh my god. <laughs> so 
So I was like, what are these pockets doing? What am I going to put in these front pockets? Because <laughs> Those were are the your butt pockets, pockets baby. <laughs> <laughs> I can put the pacifiers in there. It's fine. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, so that's crazy. Yeah, the details of this whole thing are really insane. The Marion County Sheriff's Office quickly identified the woman as Linda McDaniel, a first grade teacher at Maplewood Elementary School in Wayne Township. Oh, that's awful. A lot of this story, like as I was researching it, reminded me a lot of the Garnett Ginn case that I covered of the teacher who was found like in her garage a lot Mm -hmm. of it like reminded me of that not enough for where I would like start right (laughs) conspiracy theory (laughs) investigators said they were called to her second floor apartment around 9 a.m that Thursday morning Linda's aunt Mary McClelland had been calling her phone repeatedly with no answer Mary was a former principal in Wayne Township and a friend of Thomas Long, who was Linda's boss and current principal at Maplewood Elementary. So basically, like, the principal tried to call Linda because she didn't show up for work. And when she didn't Mm -hmm. answer, he started calling her family because all of her family, like, grew up in Wayne Township and worked in Wayne Township schools. Aunt Mary was very concerned, so she showed up to Linda's apartment, knocking on the door. There was still no answer, so she went to go ask a maintenance man at the apartment if he would let her in. He was able to get in the apartment, and that's when Linda's body was discovered in her bathroom. Okay, so it was locked? We will get there, but yes, there are so many locks. A girl after my own heart. (laughs) Lock everything. Yes. So the Marion County Sheriff's deputy, James Curry, said Linda was completely nude except for a pair of pantyhose that she was wearing. Another strange detail, Curry said Linda was not fully submerged in the water. So you might think like, oh, she was just in the bathtub. No. Right. She was on her knees Like, her knees were on the ground, and her body was over the top of the tub. So, like, the upper part of her torso, her head, was under the water. And her hands were tied behind her back with red ribbon. Oh, my God. That's awful. That's a horrible way to die. So strange. Yeah. That's, like, I don't know. It feels very like like display e like you yeah 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 like making a making a statement with the yeah way the body was found. That's why I'm like, how did this not blow up? Like, dude, wait until we get into it because the more I learned, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, Happy Christmas! Yeah. As for the scene of the crime, Curry said the apartment did not appear to have been broken into or ransacked. There were no signs of a struggle either. However, a sliding glass door leading to the second floor porch was, quote, slightly ajar. And it's not like someone would have had to, like, put in work to get up to the deck. There was a back staircase that led right up to the door that seems to have 
be the point of entry. Okay. Wow. So it really seems like whoever did this only wanted to kill. So like I mentioned, there weren't things like around the apartment. They weren't poking around to steal stuff. Linda's purse was left untouched and her car was still parked out front. The article did end with some information about Linda, which is appreciated. Aside Mm -hmm. from being a teacher, she also worked as a part-time cashier at Sears in the Lafayette Square Mall. She went to Ben Davis High School before attending IUPUI, which is Indiana Purdue University in Indianapolis. What is it? Now it's just IU Indianapolis. Mom and dad divorced. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's (laughs) Purdue, Fort Wayne, and IU Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah, because they used to be conjoined, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, it was still ooey pooey. Yeah. Literally (laughs) last year, it was still ooey pooey. Um, Linda was reportedly working on her master's degree. She had a sister, Martha, who also worked for Wayne Township Schools, according to Assistant Superintendent Frank Klein. Klein told the Indianapolis News, quote, I've known this little girl since she was a baby. I was the one who hired her two years ago. That has got us all really shook up out here. He went on to say she was a fine girl and really well liked. Overall, the initial report on Linda's murder hit a lot of bases for a small column. So we've identified the victim, how she was found, a little bit on her background. But the very next day, the Indianapolis News released two full stories about the investigation and Linda's life. Two? Yeah. So it was like they were both in the newspaper, but they were two different articles One was about the case, and one was just about Linda. They were, like, stacked on top of each other. Okay, cool. I thought thought you were like, it's on page one and page 17. No, it was very interesting. It was like, you could tell they were both about the same thing. Yeah, we'll start with preliminary results of Linda's autopsy. The coroner said all signs point to drowning as the cause of death, which is not shocking. Investigators said they were attempting to take fingerprints from Linda's body and other items in her apartment, including her hands and neck, where she was likely forced into the water. Detectives also revealed that they took statements from two young men who were known to have dated Linda in the past, along with some of her acquaintances. Police suspect the last person Linda spoke to was her mom around 9.30 p.m. on Wednesday. She told her mom she was staying in at her apartment for the night to work on Christmas decorations for her classroom. Investigators found scissors and small cutouts of Christmas trees on a table in the apartment. This is likely where the ribbon came from. Sad. It was her own goddamn craft night. Oh. Fuck that murderer. That's rude. (laughs) Craft night is sacred. You ruined craft night and my life. Right. And she was doing it for the kids. I know. God damn it. Something else I want to note is that police said the front door had been locked from the inside with a heavy bolt. And then additionally, the door to the bathroom had been locked by the killer. So now to this, like, second article in the same Mm -hmm. 
thing where we get the same story. Yeah, we get more information about Linda. So she was only five years removed from high school and she was super smart. I read an article that said Linda worked really hard to get good grades. And the Indie News reports that Linda was in the upper 3% in her graduating class. So she was, like, very smart. Don't ask me where I was. Linda was a member of the school's marching band. She was in the history club and also the bowling club. She lived at home with her mom and aunt. But shortly after her first teaching job, she moved out. Her family said she really wanted to prove that she could make it on her own and live by herself. There was a really sad and equally sweet blurb about how upset the first grade students were when they found out about Linda's death. Many of them cried. The principal really tried to like warn the the student's parents. Like he personally called each parent to let them know. And Long said that Other teachers at the school also took the news very hard, which I can't imagine. Two days after the murder, the Indianapolis News reports that investigators were able to recover several fingerprints from Linda's apartment. One of the fingerprints came from the bathroom doorknob, where police believe the murderer locked the door. Police also revealed that along with her arms being tied behind her back, Linda had been gagged with a towel. Within two days, police questioned 30 acquaintances, including those two former boyfriends. The Indy Star had a similar report, adding a few more details. Well, they were rumors, but they said that Linda had an ex who was prone to violence and had a short temper, and that he was being sought out for additional questions. The star said it received more than 20 calls from residents at Linda's apartment complex complaining about the security procedures. So according to residents, there used to be a guard that stopped all incoming cars that didn't have little stickers saying that they were going to, you know, that they live there. The guard would issue a card to visitors and write down their name, what kind of car they drove, when they entered and when they left the complex. But within a year, they said those practices were abandoned. And obviously that would have made a huge difference in this investigation. Police would have like a name or maybe a description of a person or a car. Residents also complained about poor lighting in front and behind the apartments. Before Linda's murder, there were a few complaints of burglaries and peeping toms. It looks like when this went to print, there was an initial story that, that had all of the information I just said that went out on December 3rd. But there was a second article that I found that had a lot of the same information. It was placed near the same stories in the newspaper. But I'm wondering if they originally like printed the first article and then later they reprinted it and replaced it with like different wording in the article because this second print is 
the first time this case was referred to as the Christmas ribbon murder. I think they were trying yeah. to make it a little salacious because the first one was just like, they need tips and the apartment complex is shit. And the second one was like all of that, but now they're calling it the Christmas ribbon murder. Well, I mean, that would catch my attention. Right. It was the indie star that printed that. So I don't know if that was something that started circulating like with police and broadcast news and then it like started being printed in newspapers. But that was the first time I ever saw it referred to as the Christmas ribbon murder. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Interesting for journalists. I don't know if it's interesting for <laughs> You guys are all <laughs> snoozing right now, but Linda McDaniel's funeral was kept small and closed off to her family and close friends. But the Indie Star reports that an estimated 500 people, majority of them children from the elementary school, came no, to I pay their respects. <laughs> Megan uh... can't. Megan can't listen to anything without getting emotional anymore. God, like a group of children is just so sweet. But a group of grieving children is very sweet. Ugh. I'm scared to even like keep going. But Uh after the funeral, Detective Sergeant Ron Beasley said, quote, frankly, we are not a bit closer to arresting anyone than we were an hour after the murder. So why did they say this shit? That's comforting. <laughs> like at least keep the killer on edge even if you're lying. I know. And that doesn't, that doesn't make people feel safe either. Yeah, it's just all around not great. By Monday, December 5th, news outlets began pushing for the public to contact police with any potential tips. At this point, it's only been five days since her murder, less than a week. And Detective Beasley is just out here slanging concerning interviews. Like, I'm not sure that we should be allowing this man to speak to the media, but he told the... He told the Indy Star, quote, This case has me stumped. The trail is going cold. It's less than than a week after this case. Literally shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Sir, intrusive thoughts should not be said out loud. Yeah, he's missing the part of your brain that's like, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud. It's hard to know where to go, though, when you don't have anything. Like, they have no motive. No suspects. Oh, for sure. Don't say that. But police believe the killer acted alone and committed the crime late at night when neighbors wouldn't see them. The only evidence they have are the fingerprints from the scene. But even then, Mm -hmm. I googled the first certification program for forensic scientists regarding fingerprints Mm -hmm. launched that year in 1977. So, yeah, so like they weren't even very good at matching up like fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have them, but they can't do anything with them really. Exactly. And it's not like today where you could put a fingerprint in a database and reverse search and try to find someone that way. Right. On Tuesday, December 6th, Linda's cause of death was announced. A pathologist report revealed Linda died from asphyxiation. The Indianapolis News made it seem as though that was unrelated to her being found with her head down in the bathtub. And I kind of felt that way, too, because I feel like asphyxiation is always tied. 
to strangulation. According to the National Institutes of Health, drowning is largely an asphyxial process because the lungs are like being cut off of oxygen. So you, it's still a type of asphyxiation. So, like, say drowning? I mean, yeah, you would. So that's why I was like confused. I was like, it makes more sense to me that, like, that, the that. Gag, like she asphyxiated on the gag before being drowned maybe oh maybe I didn't even think of that like there were no mentions of ligature marks or bruises on her neck they only mentioned okay. one bruise that was on her arm so I had no like when they said asphyxiation I was like oh it must just be like it could, it could be, be from be the towel I didn't even cornered. think of that well, I'm saying it could be the corner just saying asphyxiation, but meaning drowning. We just don't know. Like, yeah, I assume they didn't say if they found water in her lungs. No, I will circle okay. back to this later. But like going through it, I was like, this doesn't add up to me. The Indie Star reports that Detective Beasley put a call out to the public shortly after the cause of death was announced. Police were trying to locate a man known as, quote, A motorcycle racer. What? (laughs) Very, very specific. Beasley said if anyone knows his name or where he lives, that would be helpful. Okay, God. I don't know what the fuck that was about, but... This man, he needs to not be allowed to talk to the press. One week to the day after Linda's body was found, Marion County Police assigned two additional detectives to the case. So that means there are now four full-time investigators working this case. Yeah, because they said this bitch keeps saying stupid shit to the press, so we need somebody to watch him. Except they didn't stop him. He was still the point of contact for the rest of Jesus. (laughs) So now we have four men, I'm assuming. Four investigators, I should say. Yeah. The group set out to interview 40 to 50 more people in an effort to learn more about Linda and potential motive or suspects. Many of these newer interviews would be from acquaintances and part-time co-workers at her job at Sears. Mm -hmm. Sunday, December 11th, a little over a week after the murder, detectives have turned their attention to an unknown man who reportedly had a blind date with Linda. At first, this seemed like a great lead. Then I got to the end of the paragraph. The blind date was not, like, in the weeks or even month before Linda's death. Police said... The blind date reportedly happened in the past 18 months. What is happening? That's a year and a half. What's happening in this investigation? What kind of timetable is that? 18 I months. Know. And it seems like a great tip, but then you really start like looking into it and it's like, yeah, it's we don't have a name. We don't have a description. Please You're put out another plea. No, to the public. <laughs> Asking anyone with knowledge of the date or identity of the man to call investigators. And you can tell they're, like, very much grasping for straws here because Beasley said, like, this person is not a suspect, just someone we want to talk to. Which is, like, my least favorite fucking thing that police say. Yeah, and then they're like, if you saw them at the old spaghetti factory on (laughs) this date, like, let us know. Not the old spaghetti factory. Like, what? Beasley told the Indie Star that polygraph tests were administered to three acquaintances of Linda, two men and a woman, but all of the results were inconclusive. Beasley said the tests were administered to verify alibis and information that these people 
had previously submitted to police. Okay, so back to square one. Essentially, that's what it feels like, right? The next report didn't come for another three weeks. So basically, like, this happened December 1st is when the news broke. Mm -hmm. So from December 1st to December 11th, about a week and a half, there was coverage pretty much daily. Then it really, like, started dropping off. So it was two weeks, and then after that, it was just less and less. But about two and a half weeks after that last report. December 31st, the Indianapolis News released an article reading, two prowlers linked to slaying, question mark. A peeping Tom at the apartment complex Linda lived at was said to have matched the description of a prowler seen near her apartment. What's the difference between a peeping Tom and a prowler? I have no idea. But police said this could be the clue they're looking for. Officials said the Peeping Tom and the Prowler were both reported as slender white men wearing an army green type jacket. And the more I read, the more I could tell the police were really struggling to move this case forward. Yeah. So this was especially evident when they revealed that they had a resident at Linda's apartment complex who was hypnotized. Oh my god. To see if they could muster up new information about something that they saw or heard the night of the murder. They're going to random people in in her apartment complex and being like, can we hypnotize you to see if you remember anything? So much that two people had fully been hypnotized and three other people just agreed to go under the process as well. What the hell? This is crazy. That's like them calling up a psychic. (laughs) Crazy. Within a month, police had interviewed nearly 150 people and conducted 13 polygraph tests and two hypnosis. (laughs) They checked out hundreds of leads and they still had nothing. I need to know more about the two hypnotisms. That's what I'm interested in. That's hard evidence for you. <laughs> it's really surprising to me because I assume this is a white woman. Yes. Yes. So a young white woman murdered and she was a school teacher. So like these are all markings of cases that blow up in the media. So I mean, we're talking, where do I even start? You like all the stuff that you mentioned and then yeah. you you the add ribbon. the like the way that she was found, the ribbon, mm-hmm. the half of her body submerged in water. Mm-hmm. She's naked. It feels very like humiliation type. Yeah, yeah. Police can't figure out anything. And yeah. they are so they're struggling so bad that they're hypnotizing random people <laughs> that live in her apartment complex just to see that's the story in and of itself. Yeah. Remember when I said that it, like, drastically dropped off? Mm -hmm. It was almost a year before there was any news coverage about her again, at least in local newspapers. So November 1978, the story reappeared in the news, but only because... Of a different murder case, a woman also named Linda, Linda Umberza, I'm not, you know what, I'm so sorry, let me see if I can say this name, okay. It'll be in our sources if you want to look at it. (laughs) 
a woman named Linda Unversacht. I don't know if that's German. Lots of weird letters. But another woman named Linda was found Mm -hmm. raped and murdered in the basement of an abandoned home. And similar to Linda McDaniel, her hands were also tied behind her back. So, oh, I thought you were gonna say with Christmas ribbon. No, not with Christmas ribbon. They were just like tied behind her back. And the cases weren't being connected. But the reason Linda's case was mentioned was the investigator on that case had said that he was planning on talking to Detective Beasley. I never saw another mention of their cases together. So I think that that was different enough, but you have to take that step to be like, I'm just dotting my T's. Nope. Crossing my T's. Dotting my (laughs) I dot my T's because I'm cool. (laughs) Have a newborn and you get no sleep and it's great. Well, I don't have a newborn and I just feel like we're off the rails. It's fine. It's a late night recording. I don't think we've ever recorded this late. It's 11 p.m. right now. This is the closest to the witching hour we've ever been. I'm dying. The witching hour. Oh, my gosh. Let me pull out my crystals. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. So, back to the story. No, wait, but that's basically what the police are doing. They're basically pulling out crystals and bones and throwing them, like, on a table and being like, point us to the killer. <laughs> that's where the investigation is. I'm honestly surprised we didn't get, like, a witch Somewhere. or... Yeah, yeah, a psychic. <laughs> yes. God. Okay, okay. Okay. Focus. Focus. Collect. Okay. On December 3rd, 1978, the Indy Star included Linda's case in a roundup of unsolved murders in central Indiana. Just a small mention about the case among dozens of other victims who had gone without justice. Mm -hmm. Just a few months later, some kind of shocking news broke in the Indianapolis news. A prime suspect in Linda's case was announced. (gasps) Who is he? Where is he? Oh, no. Well, we don't know his name. He is only referred to as a well-known acquaintance of Linda, and he is in jail. Okay. Is he a motorcycle racer? In Kentucky? I don't know anything about this motorcycle shit, but... What in the Kentucky hell is happening? To me, this feels like such a non-news story, but I really want to know your opinion. Like... Let me run through this, and I really want to hear what you think. So there's this whole story that comes out about how, like, there's a prime suspect, but like I said, we don't know his name. All we know is he's in jail in Kentucky, and officials wouldn't release, like, any information. They wouldn't say where he was being held or the specific reasons he was considered a suspect. Beasley said he'd been in contact with Kentucky authorities and had previously interviewed this man. However, the man was uncooperative and wouldn't take a polygraph test. Beasley also would not reveal what he considers the motive for Linda's murder to be. The only thing he would confirm is that the prime suspect is one of several men who had dated Linda and had been previously questioned. The thing that really, like, chaps my ass, if you, so to speak, 
is like, <laughs> why are we coming out and naming a prime suspect when you, in the article, it says that they don't have enough information to serve an arrest warrant? Like, they literally Correct. don't have any information, plus they're not giving any information to the public. And, right. like, this just feels, to me, like, this is non news i'm conflicted i think it's mostly on police rather than the newspaper so i don't think you should announce a prime suspect unless you're ready to give the name like just don't tell people about it like what what are you gaining by telling the public that you have a prime suspect other than like oh look at us we're doing an investigation but i just i remember like in the newsroom if there was a story that we had done previously sometimes any bit of new information would be what makes the hook to put it in that show or even like a reporter story like if we had nothing that day if there was a slight tidbit of new information on something we'd be like okay we're gonna focus on that new part and then we're just gonna go with it so I feel like if you get that information from police you do have to report it but I don't think police should have said anything honestly like you have to have literally dot your t's like dot your fucking t's have things ready dot your t's fuckers and have things ready like you can't i don't know and like i assume it's not solved for some reason it's just in my brain no this is totally unsolved this case is okay so like obviously they didn't have enough so why say anything at all but it does seem to me like it's one of the two men that you talked about in the beginning that they were looking into that's just my gut feeling yeah I mean it's one of the people that like she had gone on a date with or had previously dated but this is what infuriates me even more is like they dropped that like prime suspect thing and then there was absolutely no news coverage to follow it up the next article mention wasn't until 1985 so like what the fuck it's we drop this bomb and then we're going to go six years without saying yeah. anything about it. It went nowhere from prime suspect to crickets. Literally. And you can't again, do that. The mention of Linda wasn't even anything to do with her case. She was mentioned in her father's obituary. You're actually going from like, it was like 1979. Mm-hmm. And we're going until 1992 before an Jeez. actual story is written about her. That's crazy. So she was murdered in December of 1977. Mm -hmm. In November of 1978, Burger Chef happens. And I really just feel like when something of that magnitude happens, everything else falls to the wayside. 100%. 100%. And that's why I was very shocked a year after there was no story about her anniversary, probably Mm -hmm. because... We're now a month, Burger Chef. Yeah. we're a month into Burger Chef, and that's all yeah. anyone could think about. That's how it. That's how it was with Delphi. Delphi and Flora, our yeah. very first episode. Like it just sucks. Certain crimes people fixate on, and that has an impact on other people's cases. It's unfortunate, but it happens. Yeah, that's that's. I can almost guarantee that's what happened. Yeah, because <sighs> it has all the makings of a story that you would talk about. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I promise I'm, like, on the downslope. I'm wrapping up, like, I have a page and a half left. But, so... (laughs) Please, you're fine. This is our podcast. 
I know. I, know. I can cut what I want. <laughs> That's true. You have all the power. So, like I said, that article, the next, like, true article that did a feature on this case was in May of 1992. The Indianapolis News did a feature on Linda's unsolved murder. This, again, is where we're seeing the term Christmas ribbon killer. It appeared for the second time that I could find in print. This short article appeared to be a refresher of the case to the public and a push to Crime Stoppers, which was fairly new at the time. Mm-hmm. And now we know that Crime Stoppers offers an $1,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. That was being pushed to. Officials also confirmed that even after 14 years, they were still looking into Linda's murder. Now, God. I couldn't find another piece of news coverage after that until 2014 so it's drastically dropped like like getting more time in between mentions yes and this piece was this piece was from the indie star they had Mm -hmm. created an occasional series highlighting some of the area's unsolved crimes it's called indiana unsolved with diana penner as a longtime reporter penner would recount details of crimes, information about the victims, and then where the case stood. And this was kind of in hope to... kind of cool. Yeah, kind of spark some movement with the public. So the article actually had a good amount of information and updates in it. And I was kind of like a lot of the lingering questions I had while researching were tied up in this article. So appreciate that. Yeah. So this article confirms that Linda had died before her head was submerged in the water. So Okay. So the asphyxiation was accurate. Yes. So she was Ooh. strangled, I assume, or some yeah. some sort of cause for asphyxiation. Yes, yeah. that was confirmed. And then her body was placed in that position with her head in the water and her right. arms tied behind her back. Oh it God. really feels like a humiliation sort of thing, yeah, like a way to degrade someone. Yeah. Like the person didn't have to do that if she's already dead. Yeah. That's crazy. We also learn... Again, this article came out in 2014, 37 years after the murder. We are learning that Linda spoke to a friend on the phone the night that she was killed. She said that a man she had gone on a date with was coming over. Linda didn't say what his name was, only that he wanted to come over to apologize for what police say, apparently getting aggressive on their date he didn't whoa yeah the police did not elaborate on what that meant but her friend urged her not to let this man in oh good friend but linda assured her it would be fine sergeant bill carter with impd said he planned to have the items gathered from Linda's apartment retested for DNA and fingerprint evidence. Carter told the Indy Star he was pursuing a possible suspect, a man who worked with Linda at the time, and wanted him considered in this case. In 2014, the man had already died, but he hoped his children would provide DNA evidence for comparison. That's how you do it. You say, I have a potential suspect that I'm looking into. You don't say, it's a prime suspect until I prove otherwise. 
Life that really one. pissed me off. Yeah, that's annoying. Fuck that guy. Arguably one of the most interesting pieces of information here is that about three years after Linda's murder, local police reached out to the FBI for assistance. And the FBI was in the thick of profiling killers and they created mm. a profile for this case. Where the so, fuck was all this information before now? I am losing yeah. my goddamn mind. Props, why props to the why am I just now finding out Diana Penner? Good job, girl. Like, yeah, that's, that's some it. work. She put she in the work. crushed it. The piece of information that I'm really upset about is, like, we have information about a man that she went on a date with. That makes more sense Correct. when you say you're interviewing people that she dated or went on dates with. And, you know, I am a, I am a huge <gasps> defendant. She's got the finger pointing. I'm so worked up. I didn't think I was going to get this worked up. But you know <laughs> that I'm a huge proponent of if it's important to the investigation, mm-hmm. I fully believe that police should keep it close to their chest. Yeah. This is not that. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have identifying information. Like, it's just adding more context to literally what she was doing the night she was murdered. I just, that really peeved me. But let's dive into this alleged profile, which. Yeah, 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 yeah. They believe the murderer was a white man between the ages of 35 and 40, was socially. A white man. man. This person was socially or occupationally associated with Linda. They believe that he was married at the time of the crime and living with his wife and family, but experiencing conflicts in the marriage. After the murder, he likely went to counseling before separating or divorcing with his wife. Prior to the crime, he was experiencing either marital or financial distress, didn't participate in many family activities, spent a lot of time in bars. After the crime, reduced alcohol consumption, was possibly a military veteran, had previously been to Linda's apartment, and prior to the murder had no criminal record other than a potential traffic ticket. Okay, that's very specific. Like how it doesn't sound it doesn't sound as cool when you read them out online as it does like when they're profiling someone on criminal minds. Pause. My husband just came out. Is it Mallory? Yeah. You can say my name. I'm, we're on the podcast, babe. <laughs> he came out and he's supposed to be asleep at this point as of 9:30. It's 11:30. And I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "I just missed him." And he had to come out and give him a kiss. Stop. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, so cute. It is cute, but I was like, "What?" And then we're talking about a murderer, and I just see this shadow coming towards me. <laughs> I'm in the living room, and it's dark, and I'm like, "Oh no, it's the hash slinging slash." <laughs> um, <laughs> this is off the rip. This whole thing. I mean, this is gonna be like a hour and a half long episode i can't it's fine uh, okay oh he's well, gone he didn't even say bye. okay bye Brad. Bye. <laughs> aside from this shitty profile the truly like the last in-depth news story i could find was this article and it went to print but there was also an online story which 
was accompanied with a video that featured Sergeant Carter and an interview from Linda's sister. And I'm going to link that in our show notes if you want to watch it. It's about five minutes. In 2018, the Indie Star included Linda's case in a larger scale roundup of unsolved murders in central Indiana. And that list now included cases like Burger Chef, the Delphi murders, Mm -hmm. some more high-profile infamous unsolved cases. I do want to give a major shout-out to the Indie Star. A major, a majority of my information came from them, and it looks like they really did try to spotlight it throughout the years. I mean, I wish I would have seen more news coverage and updates, but the Indianapolis News also did a ton of coverage, but they went out of circulation in 1999. I couldn't find a single broadcast news station with current coverage about this case. Normally, when I research older cases like this, it's not uncommon to see, like, a stray web article. There was none of that. that. When a story gets stuck in a roundup. Yeah. We need a name for that. We need, we do need to come up with something to, like, refer to, because I just... guys. We'll do it. We'll put it on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Along with dotting your T's. Dotting your T's. This case is really like one, and you know, maybe it's just because I haven't fully researched a case in a minute because we've just been spaced out or whatever, but yeah, like this one really does feel like a buried byline, like something that yes. fell through the cracks yes. and has the potential to be a Jean Bonnet, like insane mm-hmm. coverage, and it just... Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels very much like our very first couple of episodes where we would always say, so why did this not blow up? Yeah. <laughs> like, And to me, I crazy. think, like, if you're looking at it, I, w- I would say the two main reasons this case didn't blow up is because the first would be the burger chef. Like, yes, I think that That's the biggest one over it was too close. Yes. It was within the year. It overshone this case and kind of took over this market. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing would be the way the police approached this case yes. in the media. I don't want to mm-hmm. say that they did poor, like, oh, I, do. I really don't think they had anything to work with. And nowadays like I think it would have been a lot different if they found DNA and they had like you can do more with that now so there you go that's the Christmas ribbon killer wow good job I have a fun fact that's Christmas themed okay I'm very excited so in Japan it's tradition for people to enjoy a Kentucky fried Christmas Wait, I did know this. I did know because I feel like that you was... You run this as a story yep. at some point. Yeah. Because, yeah, okay, so, was... so more of a spotlight into, like, when we used to do TV. When I was on the morning show, I had, on my first show that I did, I had a segment called Around the World where I had to find, like, kooky, crazy, interesting stories, and they all had to be outside of the U.S. And so this one about Japan and, like, the KFC Christmas was definitely in Around the World. Because it started as a marketing campaign, and now each year KFC Japan runs an ad campaign from December 23rd to Christmas. They sell special party barrels. (laughs) Well, good job, and I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Or whatever you celebrate, whatever you celebrate. Yeah, happy Happy holidays. 
as former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from the Indianapolis Star, the Indianapolis News, the National Library of Medicine, and the National Institutes of Health. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out. Bye! Bye. Happy holidays! Happy holidays! <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Oh, what's another? Silver bells! <laughs> Christmas dinner. Enjoy your holiday traditions. We eat Chinese food on Christmas Day, in my family. I love that. No dishes to clean up later. Uh uh. It's the best thing. Uh, We'll see you guys in 2024. Bye. Bye.